Don't you wish the rain was for real? It is so dry here. And yet we talked to our son in Colorado and 18 inches of snow. We're back. But to be honest with you, we didn't go anyplace. Well, we had good intentions of going to Missouri. Got down to San Bernardino. We was going to go up the Cajon Pass and go on the Interstate 40 and head clear across and get into Oklahoma City and then cut off and head up north to Springfield, Missouri. San Bernardino, we had a blowout in our motorhome. So we found a place that had a tire and we went to that place and they says, well, we got to get it from our warehouse. Now, we had the blowout and rush hour traffic in the morning. They didn't get the, the tire until five o'clock that evening. So we spent the whole day in our motorhome at a tire store in San Bernardino. Gene slept. I did some work on the motorhome on the inside. We got the tire changed and we headed out. Got just a little past where we had the blowout and we could smell burnt rubber. Pulled over to the side, it crawled underneath. The tire that when it blew, the rubber peeled off and wrapped around the axle. The uh, tire company knew about it. When they changed the tire, they just forgot to take it off. So we had to go back because I couldn't pull it off and it took two guys crawling underneath with a big crowbar and a hammer to pull it off. Finally got it off and I said, Gene, what do you think we ought to do? I I said, my own personal feeling, it's way after dark, we need to head for home. So we went back home thinking maybe we'll start out the next day. But in the calling of our kids back in Missouri, they said the weather was terrible back there and they were worried about us. And we had to spend a lot of money for the tires. So we said, let's stay home. So we were home. Boy, we enjoyed that. But we still are glad to get back to our church family and to get back into preaching. And I'm glad that when I was gone that uh, Pastor Paul was so gracious to fill in for me. So it gave me two more extra weeks to work on my sermon. But I want you all to do something first. I want you to look back at the clock and see what time it is. Not much time. If anybody has something burning on their stove, you better go. Because i got a sermon to preach to you. Matthew chapter 7. These new baptismal participants have entered into a new life in Jesus. And it's a new journey for some of them. For others, they've taken a detour off the highway to heaven and they're back on track now. And I praise the Lord for that. But Jesus makes an interesting statement in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
When Jesus spoke these words, he was talking to a crowd that surrounded him, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying that the road that that leads to heaven is narrow and steep and difficult. There will be a struggle before you finally get to the destination. The other road heads downhill. And it goes to destruction. And most people have a choice because there's a fork in the road. You've got a choice. Do you want to take the steep road or do you want to coast? And he says that most people will coast. Jesus made another interesting statement when he spoke to the same crowd on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Does that bother you? It bothers me. Because Jesus is talking to his chosen people. To those who say, I'm following God. Who desire to enter heaven. Who are faithful workers. Because they said, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this? But Jesus says that he's rejecting them from entering into the kingdom. That should bother us. Because it could happen to us. What we want to look at this morning is why can't they enter the kingdom of heaven? And why would Jesus ever say to someone who's trying so hard, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness. That's a key word. Ellen Ellen White makes quite a few statements about the road to destruction and the road to life. And in one place, in a book called Christian Experience and Teachings of Ellen White, she says this on page 156. These roads, the two roads, are distinct, separate, in opposite directions. So the parties that travel them are opposite in character, in life, in dress. And in conversation. Whoa. Those who choose to take the highway to heaven are going to be different in their lifestyle compared to those that are going down the wide road that goes downhill. And it has to do something with our character. It has something to do with our life. And what we do with our life. It has something to do with the way we dress. Can you imagine that? And then our conversation.
This tells me the reason why they can't enter heaven has to do with their everyday life. Something's going wrong in their everyday life. Although they're attending church and they're working for the church, something else is influencing everything else. Look what says in John 17, verses 22 through 24. And the glory which you gave me I have given to them, Jesus is speaking, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire. Now here's the desire of Jesus. Father, I desire that they, speaking of you, also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know what that's telling me? Jesus wants us in heaven. He doesn't want us to go to this road of destruction. His greatest desire is for us to be with Him. That's His goal. That's what He's striving for. That's what He's going to help us with. So the reason some are not going to be there is because they are not one with Jesus and the Father. Look at Matthew 12 and verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You want to be a part of the family of God? He says very clearly, all you have to do is do the will of my Father. What is that will? Well, the best example that we can have is when Jesus was here on this earth. He's our example. And if we can look at his life, something in his life where he's really struggling, we begin to see something. And that's found in Luke 22 and verse 42. It says, Father, now he's praying, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? No, everything about him, humanly about him, is saying, I don't want to go through this struggle. I don't want to go through this mental anguish. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. And all of us, we don't want to go through struggles. We don't want to go through the hard times. We don't want to have to go through these things in life that are placed before us. But here's what Jesus says in his prayer. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, when he is physically and mentally and spiritually struggling, he's saying, I know this is what I want to do, but I tell you what, Father, I'm not going to do it because I want, I'm choosing to do the will of you, the Father. Amen. And that's what he expects us to do. We must be willing to do the will of the Father and not our will here on this earth. We want to go to heaven, don't we? That's our goal. And Jesus desires that we enter heaven. That's his goal. So to see more as to why many who profess to be Christians but will not enter, we need to look at a piece of history 
where people were getting ready for the soon second coming of Christ. Take a look at Testimonies, Volume 1, page 128. She starts out by saying, Then I was pointed back to the years 1843 and 1844. What's happening in 1843 and 44? I'm hearing all kinds of things. They're preparing for what they believe is the second coming of Jesus. They're convinced of that because of the preaching of, of William Miller. When he took a look at Daniel 8, 8.14 where it says unto 2,300 days and he applied the, year, the day for a year principle, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And so in his thinking, now remember he's not really one that is a, a trained theologian. He, he was raised on a farm and he was a ship's captain and he believed a lot of things. But when he was looking and studying his Bible, he says this can only mean that this, this sanctuary is going to be cleansed. The sanctuary has to be this earth. And so he began to preach that message and it started going. But it wasn't just him when he sat there and figured this out. It was happening all over the world. There were other people that were coming and discovering this in Daniel. Daniel, it was a sealed book, all of a sudden was opened up to their minds and they began to look and to formulate and they began to say at first, well, I think Jesus is going to come in 1843. And then they began, 1843 came and went. And then they says, well, let's look at it again. And they studied some more and they says, well, it's got to be in 1844. And when they studied some more about 1844, they began to look at their calendar. And as they figured out what the Jewish dates and the Jewish months were and what the, what the days and the months were, they says, oh, wait a minute. This is really pinpointing down to October the 22nd, 1844. And so there they stood waiting for Jesus to come. And this is all over the world. So here are people who are saying Jesus is going to come. And they're beginning to say, hey, I'm not ready. I've got to do something about this. So let's go back to testimonies. Then I was pointed back to the years 1843 and 1844. That's when they're preparing themselves. There was a spirit of what? Consecration. That means... Hey, I've got to get myself ready. So there's this, this change. Their, their focus of attention is not on what's happening in the world, not what's happening at their job or anything else. Their whole goal, families were studying the Bible together. They were praying. They were saying, we've got to make these changes. We've got to consecrate ourselves to God. There was a spirit of consecration then that there is not now. Brothers and sisters, he's talk, she's talking about us right now. Back in 1844, there was a spirit of consecration like you cannot even find here on this earth. What has come over the, come over the professed, peculiar people of God? I wonder what she'd say today if she was to sit in our churches. She continues... Come on. I saw the world. What's taking place in the church? Conforming to be like the world. The unwillingness to suffer for the truth's sake. People are not standing for truth. I saw a great lack of submission to the will of God. What was Jesus' prayer? 
He prayed that we would be able to be one like Jesus is one and that we would be able to do the will of the Father. And there's a lack of submission to the will of God. We won't stand for the truth. We're conforming to the rest of the world. Uh Uh-oh. I think she took a peek at us and saw something. Early writings, she talks about a firm platform. It's kind of amazing when she began to take a look at this platform. As she saw this this platform, she saw, was looking back in the 1840s when they were consecrating their lives to God and then that great disappointment came on October the 22nd when Jesus didn't come. Imagine how disappointed they were. They spent their whole day, night, weeks, months getting themselves ready and Jesus didn't come. And there was a bunch of them that got together and they said, you know, we've got to figure out why. And they began to, to study. And she wrote in early writings, it's a chapter entitled A Firm Platform, on page 258, talks about this change that took place after 1844. They began to study the Bible and it was made by some as they were seeking to see why, why Jesus hadn't come and as they began to study, they built, they built a solid biblical platform based on the Word of God. They began to see things in the Bible that says, this is what God says that needs to take place. And they began to look and they're saying, you know, this is not happening. And Ellen White mentions later that the platform was held up by, by pillars holding this platform up. And, and these pillars were, were truths in God's word, such as the, the law of God, especially looking at the Sabbath. Many of them had never even heard of the Sabbath before. The second was the, the second coming of Christ. And, and, and they began to study and they began to realize they also studied one of the other pillars was the sanctuary. They began to study the sanctuary and they realized there's a sanctuary in heaven, not here on earth. That's where they made the mistake. And then they began to study and they began to notice that in their churches they were teaching something different happens when a person dies. The Bible says when a person dies, they they go to their grave and Jesus says they're asleep. And they sleep until the coming of Jesus. And in their churches they hadn't seen that before. And they, they had been keeping Sunday. And they hadn't heard anything about the sanctuary. And they didn't know anything about the law. And all these things were new things. And and it was beginning to build up their base that's holding up their platform. But in this chapter, Ellen White declares that the steps, there are steps that are leading up to this solid platform. And these steps, I skipped a thing. These steps found in early writings, God who reads the hearts of all, has brought to the test the love for Jesus which they profess to feel. There's a test that took place. And so they wanted to figure out, what is this test? What are the steps that lead up to this platform? Well, here's the steps that lead up to the platform. The first angel's message. The second angel's message. The third angel's message. Have you ever heard that before? 
before they could ever begin to see and understand the Sabbath, the state of the dead, the sanctuary, before they could ever even understand the platform that they're standing on and the, and the commitment they made, they had to first go to the first step was the first angel's message. And then before they can get up there, they had to go to the second and the third. What are these things? What is she talking about? Early writings, page 260. All heaven watched with deepest interest in the reception of the first angel's message. The context of this is what was happening in 1843 and 1844. That's when all of a sudden something began to take place at that particular time. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. Let's look at the first angel's message. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Guess what they were spreading in 1844? The gospel of Jesus. To preach to those who dwell on the earth. That message went like wildfire throughout the whole earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God, that's respect God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And when they began to look at that first step, and they realized that the reason why Jesus didn't come is because Jesus went in from the holy place in the sanctuary into the most holy place where He started what? The investigative judgment. The judgment started on October the 22nd, 1844. And then they began to share about the, the, the things that are taking place to worship the, the one who created. Great Controversy, page 611. The Advent movement of 1840 to 1844 was a glorious manifestation of the power the first angel's message was carried to every mission station in the world. There's the first angel's message. They must realize that that started taking place in, 18, in the 1840s up to 1844. And the gospel was being spread. But if they didn't accept that, they couldn't go on. Look what happened during that time when they were sharing the gospel. And here are churches that are hearing people like William Miller coming in and others that are coming in and sharing what they're learning. And look what it says in early writings 260. Many who profess to love Jesus. Who do they love? They love Jesus. Okay. They're saying, I want to go to heaven. And who shed tears when they read the story of the cross. So it's moved them. They derided the good news of what? His coming. They rejected it. Instead of receiving the message with gladness, they declared it to be a delusion. They hated those who loved his appearing and shut them out of the churches. Do you see what started taking place? People who said, you know, we're, we're trying to get ready for the soon second coming of Jesus. They says, that's a lie. It's a church. They love Jesus. They loved hearing the story of Jesus on the cross, and when they began to hear that Jesus is coming soon, they said, that's a lie. We don't want to hear that anymore in our churches. We don't want the truth. Oh, no, blah, 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 blah. Don't I want to hear this. Get out of here. 
We don't want anybody to share the truth in the church. Brothers and sisters, that's what's going on today. Many of our churches don't want to hear about the sanctuary. Some of them don't want to hear about the second coming of Jesus. They don't want to hear about the Sabbath, the Creator. They don't want to hear about what happens when a person dies. They don't want to hear these things. They don't want to hear about the sanctuary. You don't believe me that it doesn't happen in our church? What about this guy? He did more harm of casting out good pastors out of our denomination by saying that the investigative judgment is not taught in Daniel. People left the church in great numbers. It happens even today. Revelation 14, verse 8, the second angel's message, and there followed another angel. Here's the second one, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know what type of a liquid Jesus was called? Water. It was the water of life. God's word was the water of life. It's his truth. There's another liquid that is being shared in the world today, and it's fermented wine, which represents the false, impure doctrine that is being spread in churches that believe that they're following Jesus Christ. Testimonies to the minister, page 61. This wine of error is made up of false doctrines such as the natural immortality of the soul. In other words, when a person dies, he automatically goes to heaven. Does the Bible teach that? No. Jesus says when you die, you're asleep. You don't go to heaven. There isn't anyone in heaven until the second coming of Jesus in the majority of the world that uh, is, is there. They haven't gone before us because when Jesus come and the trumpet is sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. It's the same time. The eternal torment of the wicked. What's that? Hellfire. Burn forever and ever and ever and ever. The denial of the pre-existence of Christ prior to his birth. There are some churches that says that Jesus never existed until he was born. In Bethlehem. And advocating and exalting the first day of the week above God's holy and sanctified day, which is the Sabbath. The majority of the Christian world keeps Sunday as a day, as a sanctified day. And it's never in the Bible. No instructions in the Bible. So there's false teachings that are taking place in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the second angel's message. Confusion is taking place within the churches. There are some in our denomination who, who still think the soon coming of Jesus will not take place. I've even heard it in this church. There are some in, his peop- in, in, in our denomination that says Desmond Ford is right. There is no judgment that's taking place. 
And there are some that feel that the Sabbath restrictions should be relaxed in the church and we can do anything that we want to and it doesn't matter what the Bible says, that what we should and what we shouldn't do. That it would be a much happier day without all the regulations. It's happening. So there's that second angel's message. Confusion that's taking place. Revelation 14, verses 9 through 12. Third angel's message. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the who? The beast. And his image. And receives his mark on his forehead and on his hand. He himself shall also drink of what? The wine of the wrath of God. Kind of, I think God's just using a little humor here. Because Babylon was called not to, to drink the wine of its false doctrines. And here, one of the false doctrines is that you're going to burn in hell if you don't accept what they teach. And God says, you're going to drink something. You're going to drink wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have rest day or night no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name here's the patience of the saints here's those that went to the right road that narrow road that's steep and rugged here are they What are they like? Here are those that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. A big distinction. A simple faith in the simple word of God. They have the faith of Jesus and they keep the commandments. That's all they need. Testimonies, Volume 8, page 197. The third angel's message embracing the message of the first and second angels. They've got to go all together. If you, if you reject any of those first two angels, you aren't going to understand the third. You can't just say, I'll take one and I reject all the others. They all go hand in hand. Embracing the message of the first and second angels is the message of this time. That's the time that we're living in. We're living in the time of the end. By rejecting the two former messages, that's the first angel and the second angel, remember it's a test. By rejecting those messages, they have so darkened their understanding that they see no light in the third angel's message, which shows the way into the what? Where's the most holy place? The sanctuary, which is... If you don't accept the first and second angel's message, you will not understand what the ministry of Jesus is doing right now, today, since October the 22nd, 1844. You will reject it. You will not want to hear it. You will want to cast out of your church anybody who brings it up. You'll follow after false teachings. You'll follow in the way of darkness. We're going to see that later. Let's go to early writings. Page 261. They crucified these messages, the three angels' messages. And therefore they have no knowledge of the way into the most holy and cannot be benefited 
by the intercession of Jesus. The intercession of Jesus is the only way that I can have eternal life. And if I can't benefit by the intercession of Jesus, I don't have life. And I can go to church all I want, and I can do all the things in the church and do as good as I want, but it won't do any good. So I've got to take the test. I've got to look at the three angels' message. I've got to base on the platform, the firm platform that has been established by the church, taking a look at the Sabbath, taking a look at the sanctuary, taking a look at the second coming of Jesus, taking a look at the state of the dead. Those things I've got to believe in. Those things I've got faith that Jesus says these things happen. I must be willing to give up the world and follow the will of the Father, whatever that might be. I've got to make a stand, a firm commitment. Or the intercession of Jesus means absolutely nothing to me. So we need to take a look at the ministry of Jesus in the most holy place in heaven. Is that right? I've got to understand that. Do you want to take a look? Do you want to be in there? Well, we will next week, but for right now, let's open our hymnals and let's look at the hymn, Live Out Thy Life Within Me, hymn number 316. 316. Stand as we sing 316. Ready to have thee use them 
therefore not be used at all. Hold without or strain or stress or fret or chafings at thy dealings on thoughts of vain regret. But restful, calm, and pliant from bend and bias free, awaiting thy decision when thou hast need of me. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou the glorious answer to all my questionings. I invite those who were baptized and rebaptized after the prayer to join us out there so that the church family can get acquainted with you. Father, it is your will that we are to follow. That means that we have to stand firm on the platform of your holy word. We have to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us. It is your goal to get us into heaven. It is our desire to be into heaven. But the road is very narrow and very steep, and we can't do it without help. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit to make it so that we can arrive and not be rejected is our prayer. In Jesus' holy name, amen.